Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. another episode of we're not wizards my name's richard i'll be your host for march i think it is march it's still march it still could be march as i've said uh, very recently we're just going to continue with march until things kind of get better so we could be on march the 57th it could be march 152th Whatever, or the March 152nd, I guess, would be the right thing. Um, we want to bring a little bit more excitement into your lives. We want to bring a bit more colour, joy into your lives, maybe lighten it up a bit. I don't just want it to happen for a little bit. I want to bring a festival to us. I almost want to bring a festival of colours. In fact, you know what? I want to open the floodgates here and bring you a holy festival of colours. So, there's only one thing I can do. I'm going to bring in Ben Harkins from Floodgate Games to talk about the holy festival of colours. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm all right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, I'm fine. Everything's good, I think. I love it. You know? I don't want to go at red alert because it means changing the light bulb... <laughs> the red one in the house and that's an old red dwarf um, <clears throat> we're here to talk about uh, Holy Festival of Colours which is um, Kickstarter, currently on Kickstarter has a couple of days left to go um, and it's funded yes, it was funded fully... last week wow how's it, I mean let's let's, let's talk about the big um, leathery winged elephant in the room is that with the current situation um, were you kind of like I'm good, this is funded I'm, I'm glad this is funded, was there any kind of concerns kind of that things might kind of dip or people might pull out or drop out because of what is happening on our glorious globe at the moment Yeah, I've seen a couple different things talking about funding being reduced on Kickstarter and some folks canceling or delaying projects. But I talked about that with the team and before launching, we, uh, mm -hmm. we decided people kind of need a little bit more joy and color mm -hmm. in their life, especially right now. So let's move forward. And, uh, we're getting a really great response from people more, more so than I think we would have normally people saying, Hey, thank you for sharing this positive thing. And, uh, Mm -hmm. It's been doing exactly that for at least a couple of people, so that's really great. Because you've been, I mean, you've you've been creating games for, I mean, quite some time now. I mean, yes. I've known. I mean, it's. I mean, um, this isn't your. This isn't your first <laughs> festival of Kickstarter. <laughs> 
you know, I think it's like, what's about 12 odd games? 12 times you've been kind of like Kickstarter? Yeah, we've been on Kickstarter 12 times. Cancelled one of those projects, but the other ones mm-hmm. have all funded. Oh, that's good. That's good. Have you, I mean, I'm aware of some of the stuff that you've done. I mean, some of the stuff is just like, whoa, this is amazing. Um, obviously, I'm aware definitely of things like Epic Resort, um, Vault Wars, which I can see on my shelf. Um, <laughs> and um, the small... I just really don't think this is ever going to take off. The whole thing about window crafting and dice drafting, which is uh, Sagra D, Sagra, Sagra, I can't even say it. But um, that was quite well received, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been we've been very fortunate with uh, Sagrada getting a really good reception. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one. It's probably one of the biggest games that you're. I would guess you're kind of like known for, and it's also known for kind of being very, very, very kind of colourful. In fact, kind of going through your back catalogue, you're kind of most of the stuff like that you've done is kind of like fairly bright, colourful, kind of in people's faces. I mean, is that the type of kind of character that you are is that the type of games that you would design you prefer to go for something kind of bright colorful sharp kind of in people's kind of faces eye-catching almost yeah the the games i play are all over the place i i play all sorts of stuff Mm. uh, other than what i what i make but for in terms of the games i'm trying to put together um Mm-hmm. We're we're trying to create what I call everlasting experiences for people through gaming. And uh, part of how we do that is by creating games that connect with real life things, things that you would do, like you would go to see stained glass windows or maybe no. go to a national park, which we referenced in Bosque. And in this case, mm-hmm. uh, Holy is a real festival that you can participate in every spring. Um, and yeah. Sort of in order to create that that visual connection, often that ends up being sort of vivid and in your face and and easy to uh easy to relate to. And I mean, when you got into games originally, I mean, was your your influence as a person? I mean, have you always been a kind of a looking for that in like since you started kind of creating games anyway? I mean, where, when you were doing your original kind of designs, when you first kind of got into the hobby, when you first kind of started putting kind of like pen to white pieces of paper, did you was that a conscious decision or did you just find yourself kind of naturally drifting towards that kind of style of game, that kind of creating a kind of an experience kind of thing? So my first game design that I published is called Legacy Gears of Time. It's a game about mm-hmm. time travel and technology. And with that game, my goal was to uh, create an experience that said, hey, what if I traveled back in time and invented something before the person who actually did invent it? And that became the core of the mechanisms of the game. Uh, similarly with Epic Resort, I was thinking, hey, what happens when heroes go on vacation? So I've always kind of liked this sort of orthogonal view of uh, these events that you're used to talking about or pop culture Mm. references. And uh, I kind of see this as an evolution of that perspective, albeit not so fantastical, of course, but really it's like, hey, what if we did turn stained glass window making into a game? 
that isn't exactly the uh, theme you'd rush to when when thinking about game design, for example. Or uh, in this case, there hadn't been any games that referenced uh, the Holy Festival, and it's a vibrant, very cool event. And the more I've learned about it and working with cultural consultants, the yeah, the more I've come to appreciate that. And and just seeing, like, hey, we can take and reference these real life events in that same sort of orthogonal way, like come at it from, come at it from the side. Like I wouldn't think of throwing colored powder at a festival as a theme for a game, but we, mm. uh, we tried, uh, tried to make everything fit and make it click and still be respectful to the actual events themselves and, and have a fun game underneath it all. With regards to your education, did you go through kind of like a, a kind of a creative course at college? Did you even go, you know, did you go to college and further education? Or, or have you always kind of, is this something that you yeah, developed kind of like as a hobby that's then become like a full-time gig? Yeah, this actually started as a hobby for me. I studied computer science mm. and management in school wow. and uh, yeah, managed software developers for a good long time and um, uh, relatively recently went full-time with the game publishing. It was a hobby business for a while and uh -huh. uh, fortunately uh -huh. we've had some successes that have allowed me to uh, to stay focused on it and now I can just make games all day. Which is pretty great. So is the, I take it the, the job job was that's bringing in me money and I'm good at it, but the passion side of things, the creative side of things, the was the tabletop design, was that kind of like an outlet for you to stretch your kind of your creative muscles, which you might not have necessarily been doing in your kind of your job job? Then? Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of overlaps with a lot of the procedural nature of playing games and mm -hmm. and the rules as the structure of the game that parallel quite a bit with what goes on with programming computers and, and building software. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it was kind of scratching the same itch just in two different ways. Um, but I was always in a fortunate yeah. situation where I loved what I was doing professionally while this was a hobby business. So I never really had a this or that choice to make. Um, it just life circumstances lined up so I could... Uh, so I could say, hey, I can I can focus on this a little bit more and and uh, be yeah. my own boss, so to speak. Yeah, I mean for um, I mean for things like I mean when you mentioned the kind of being involved in kind of like the computer, the software side of things, Sagrada then makes an awful lot more sense because it is a very very. On the outset, you would I would never necessarily sit somebody brand new to board gaming down in front of a copy of Sagrada because there's quite a lot of thinking that can go on with that. I mean, if I would definitely, if somebody said to me I'm a big fan of puzzles and they're the type of person that would do crosswords day in, day out, I'd say, well, this is def or, or um, Sudoku. I would say, well, this is definitely your type of game. They'd probably sit mm -hmm. down and love it. But there's an awful lot of kind of like, um, on the outset, I wouldn't put it down as kind of like my first kind of board game. I wouldn't set it down next to, like, say, King of Tokyo or something like that. I would say Sagrada would be something that you would play after you've gone through a, lot, a little bit of an introduction because it can be a little bit of a of a brain burner considering the the kind of the combination of numbers and kind of colours as well. Um, <clears throat> was that an aim at the outset or did you just say well let's see where we can go with this game I've got an idea for stained glass windows I've got an idea for coloured dice let's kind of see kind of what where we go with it really so the uh, rough idea for Sagrada came to me from 
uh, the designers, Daryl Andrews and Adrian Adamescu. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually played it with my wife, who's also a gamer, and uh, she woke up in the middle of the night saying, you have to publish that game. I said, okay, okay, <laughs> just go back to sleep. <laughs> uh, so Does she often wake the, you up with epiphanies in the middle of the night? <laughs> of, when it, when want, it matters, she does. Five-player variant. So she's the true inspiration behind why I'm the one publishing uh, Sagrada here. Right. But we've, we've actually found, we've found that it's been a fantastic game to uh, bridge gamers and their non-gaming spouses and family members uh, because it tends to feel pretty approachable in terms of, hey, dice are a pretty familiar component uh, yeah. to a lot of yeah. people growing up playing things like Yahtzee or Farkle. And, hey, I get to roll some dice and put them in a grid. And everybody's at least kind of familiar with Sudoku. So you get the idea yeah. of not having the same number or color next to each other, a lot like Sudoku. And I think because it, the game pulls from a lot of these familiar elements, we, even if you're not necessarily going to jump in and be great with strategy, you can still sort of stumble your way through an experience that's tactile and interesting Mm -hmm. and engaging. And often people don't even really care what their score is at the end when they're sort of new to gaming and they just like the, the path that they took to get there so and there's also just the dice is a very um it's a very tactile game you get games where the components and the pieces they mark your score and they track your movement but with sagrada you you know i've seen people just pick up a handful of dice <laughs> for sagrada and just like go <laughs> hmm, these are really really pretty <laughs> and just hold them in their hand i'm just like go and leave my dice alone put them down <laughs> or you'll never play another game with me, kind of again. Um, <clears throat> with you, I mean, w- with you then going on to the holy, was that kind of like um, what kind of what was the story behind that? How did you kind of get there? Did you again? Did you were you kind of working with another kind of designer developer? Was that something that you've developed entirely, kind of like yourself from scratch? Yeah. So the original design for Holy came from. Uh, the designer Julio Nazario. Uh, he showed me mm. a game that was called The World Tree at the time. And it was about shamans climbing up a tree and dropping spirits. Uh, the theme was not super relatable for me, but the gameplay was amazing. It had three levels and you spread them out in this puzzly gameplay with playing these pattern cards and cascading mm. spirits and so on uh, from these tokens. And I brought the game back to the team and we just absolutely loved the gameplay, but nobody was enjoying the theme at all. Uh, Mm. Separately from that, I had um, from my days of being a nightclub DJ and and festival DJ (laughs) had always been uh, fascinated with Uh, festivals and You can't just drop that right in the middle of a conversation (laughs) and, you know. You know, I, I, and it was like that time. And then I went away and invented penicillin <laughs> and then I had some lunch. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> what kind of DJing were you doing, Ben? Uh, tr- what was your, no, oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. First uh, of all, what was your DJ name? My DJ name was Ben Lime, L-I-M-E. <laughs> I love it. You didn't have a bottle, bottle of, te- no, you didn't have a, like a, a bottle of beer, put the lime in the... Oh, what? No. <laughs> what was your... Hey, did you actually like squeeze lime into beer and stuff like that? 
Uh, I did have Come my on. best. Don't, my I'm best. not let, I'm not going to put this episode out unless you tell me kind of like what's what where where the name you know Ben Lime came from. So the the name doesn't have terribly interesting roots. I I just I liked the color and thought it was evocative and went mm-hmm. by DJ Lime and people just called me Ben Lime. Most people thought it was mm-hmm. my last name anyway. Uh, there you go. But probably the most interesting Lime related thing that happened is one of my first big shows. My best friend went to the bar and got a handful of limes and just threw them at me the entire time I was DJing. No. And it was simultaneously very endearing and very distracting. Uh, but he he stopped doing that after that show. What kind of music were you playing there? Were you like a big, was it a club thing? Yeah, trance music and techno music. So Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, this is, this is before <laughs> things kind of went the way they've gone more recently with Sort of a lot of a heavier sound to it and whatnot, but it's not. It's not like trans music in my day. This is just. <laughs> oh yeah, this, this is just. This is just noise kind of thing. I I <laughs> I, res, I respect what uh you know, enjoy you enjoy what you enjoy for music, but it, the yeah. the thing about electronic music is the names stick around, but the sound that's applied to those names, mm-hmm. or that those names are applied to different sounds as as time goes on often. So it's a little difficult to, to kind of talk about that, that sort of shifting moving target as, as you look historically through electronic music. What you're saying is that your music was very good, but everything that came after it was despicably bad. Pretty much. Is this what we're, I think what I'm saying really is seen. if you, if you try looking it up now, it may not be representative <laughs> yes. of what it was then. But it, did if you, you enjoy it, did you wave your hands in the air and did you have a whistle? Uh yes to hands in the air, no to the whistle. Yes. Unfortunately. That's no. a shame. That's a shame. That's a shame. Did you have luminous gear on as well? So when the UV lights kinda were on, you were kinda lit up like a Christmas tree. Uh we did actually put together a party where everybody came dressed in white and we had all manner of UV wow. lights and it was it was as you'd imagine. It- an actual, an actual kind of carnage. I'm just trying to get you know. To me, trans music, potential psychedelic drugs. I can see now why Sagrada and Holy kind of was exciting for you because <laughs> you might get occasional flashbacks, <laughs> and then you're going, "Man, these colours are really good. I want that colour on the box." Because that doesn't even look like colour kind of thing. So this is all now make see it's not about the games that you make, it's about the story behind the games that you make as and where you've been as a person that helps that I find kind of really, really kind of interesting. Um did you use <clears throat> were you using electronic kind of DJ decks at the time or were you working on vinyl or what were you doing? Lining up CDs? Yeah, yeah, I started as a vinyl DJ and then wow. CDJs became sort of in vogue while I was DJing. And then right about the end was when DJing off of laptops and MP3s came to the scene. And uh, now that's pretty much all you find. Is that like a skill? Because I can't imagine, I can imagine you doing different things with the software being a skill. But I can, I remember like when I was, when I was a lad and this was nothing but fields, but I remember there being like a DJ in even the, even the kind of the club, the, the club 
pub club that we were kind of in and he was like kind of switching stuff around and mixing in the vinyl and putting the beats down and everything like that and it was an actual skill to kind of line up this beat coming in with this kind of the next track and stuff like that and I always think people are just pressing buttons but maybe I'm kind of wrong but there was always a I you always had a big appreciation for DJs like yourself who would basically say, well, I'm going to take two records and I'm going to find exact space where I can kind of bring them all in together. And that was kind of a, a, a kind of a, a skill. Have you ever been tempted to go back and do it? Do you still have your kind of your setup in your decks that you could go back and do it again? Yeah, I do. I do have all of my equipment, and oh, once in a while, I do. fire everything up and play some music just for oh. just for fun here at home. But you're absolutely right that it is a skill. Beat matching is the what that's referred to and not just the programming of what songs are you playing throughout the time you're allotted, but what order you're playing them in, how you choose to bring one into the other. And then of course the very yeah. technical skill of aligning uh, the speed at which each of those uh, songs are playing. And when you choose to bring it in specifically, then EQing as you go smooth transitions and so on between the songs. And then somebody says it was about the evening as well. Cause if you were DJing for like two or three hours you're wanting to kind of bring in different moods <coughs> into the time as well. Oh, so yeah. you were controlling the crowd. So you wanted to bring the kind of the crowd up. So I'm, I'm guessing you must have had moments where you just, you finish the night, you're sitting there with like a towel around your neck, like a, a <laughs> boxer that's just did 15 rounds and you're just like shaking your head, kind of going, yup. I nailed it that night. I could see these people kind of going straight up. You know, they were they were floating at some point off the actual dance floor because I was just I was creating a sense of euphoria around there, and everybody was getting it. And you were controlling how everybody was reacting on the dance floor at once. And that to me is kind of really kind of cool. I'm not gushing at you, but I am <laughs> in a small way. In no, a the, small way. the the storytelling is is so important and. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Like if you're playing early, you don't want to spend everybody's energy. They've got a long way to go and everybody's uh -huh. kind of warming up. And uh, especially if you're opening for a headliner or something uh, like that, you really want to be mindful of uh, how you're pacing yourself and, and how aggressive your music is and how complimentary it is to their style. And then especially be careful to not play their songs, uh, which is Whoa, kind of one yeah. of the biggest faux pas. Yeah, it's like singing somebody else's song at karaoke. <laughs> exactly, isn't exactly. it? Yep. Don't do, don't do um, American Pie. Why? Because that's <laughs> Dave's. That's Dave's song. What? I'm just gonna sing it now. You can't do that. It's Dave's. Dave does American Pie. Half eleven. Everybody gets up when we're drunk and we dance. Stop doing Dave's song. Um, <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about, and everyone's going, oh, he's at it again. He's not actually talking about the game that he's here, for, <laughs> here to talk about in the first place. But let's <laughs> talk about Holy and the gameplay. I'm sitting, I'm sitting at the table and you bring something to me that looks like it should have several layers with various different types of cakes on it because <laughs> it's three-dimensional, isn't it? Well, I'm expecting maybe, you know, pastries, shoe pastry buns, scones and then maybe those meringues on top the small ones that have got the bit of cream on them was that the idea when you first started on the game to make it no. look like it was high tea we did not no. have pastries in mind when uh when designing the board for this Sorry. game unfortunately 
Um, as much as I M&Ms? try to have pastries in mind all of the time, but <laughs> uh, no, for this one, it, it was all about creating that sense of uh, verticality of throwing powder in the air and having it float down. Mm. So we've st- decided, hey, we're going to stack these boards. And how do we do that? We have supports on the edges. And then probably the coolest thing to me is the translucent center to make it feel like it's open, but to still show how things are layered. Uh, that w- I'm really proud of how that turned out. So how do you, I mean, how do you play around? Um, as I say, I'm sitting here disappointed there's no cake, but delighted that there's colorful pieces <laughs> in front of me. So how do I, how do I go ahead and actually play, play around of play, you know, play around of, of holy itself? So everybody starts on the base level of the board and on your turn, you'll play one of your pattern cards. Uh, mm-hmm. They have, they have uh, usually three different spaces in a two, in a three by three grid that are filled in. You'll pick one mm-hmm. of those spaces to be in and then fill in the other two spaces on the board with your tokens. This is as if you're throwing colored powder sort of in that direction. Um, mm-hmm. However, you can only do that if there aren't already powder tokens on the board. So that's where it gets a little bit puzzly with how you're choosing to orient your cards and uh, where you choose to move before you play your cards so that you can fit them in to uh, get more and more powder on the board. The more you get on the board, the more points you get. They're worth one point on the base level. And then at Mm -hmm. some point in the game, you can climb up to the next level if you're surrounded by powder. Once you're on the next level up, uh, you'll have a little more space usually, but when you throw your powder, if there's nothing directly below it, then it cascades down to the level below. Um, yeah. But anything that does stick on that second level is worth two points, and then three yet again for the top level. That sounds... See, I was, you're looking at it and you're going, this is going to be deceptively complicated, but it's not as it? it's really, really easy. I get... Do you know what I get hints of on this? Um, just because of the setup, I instantly looked at it and I went Burgle Brothers. Oh yeah, um, you know, because that and that's a game that is um, is a delight to play, and I'm always surprised why board games don't do more multi level because it can allow, you know, this as I say, this a degree of kind of verticality that you've kind of got there. Um, are you aiming this as again? Is this aiming on the kind of the Sagrada crowd that you know you could say, well, let's start off with, let's start off with a bit of holy, and then you can go into a bit of Sagrada, or they could intermix between the two. Is that the kind of is it the, the same kind of level that you're aiming for? Yeah, as as much as I reasonably can, I try to keep at least the games I've been publishing recently focused around that same level of complexity. Mm. Um, okay. And what we've done quite a bit lately is. We pull out some of the complexity onto, and in this case, onto these rules cards. So there's a set of uh, rules cards that can augment the base rules of the game to add a little bit more replayability and complexity if you're looking for it. But we try to keep the base Mm -hmm, set of rules mm -hmm. pretty simple. Almost the entirety of the rules fits on the helper card, uh, minus, of course, some edge case details and such. So it's pretty easy to reference and kind of get what's going on. But the depth of the strategy Mm -hmm. comes from how you play and the various situations that you're that you find yourself in as you're playing. Mhm. 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 Um obviously I mean not obviously but <laughs> you mentioned at the beginning that you got kind of cultural specialists in to help you with 
the kind of the game because I can imagine. I mean, the term, you know, cultural appropriation gets thrown about like you know so many different hats and things like that. But when you were concerning yourself, when you were saying, right, we're going to sign, we're going to take this to the next level, we're going to get it kind of out there and published. I take it you were very conscious of making sure that you were not just assuming stuff that you 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 made the right decision to actually get somebody in to advise you correctly on what were the kind of the do's and the do nots if you were going to be creating kind of this type of game, yeah? Yeah, that started pretty early on with uh, just some friends of mine who both grew up in India, just kind of uh, mm-hmm. doing a quick litmus test. Like, is this even an area we should be thinking about? Or should we just mm-hmm. avoid? Uh, and both of them, we ended that, uh, both of those calls, they were both very excited and thought it was super cool mm-hmm. that this uh, festival that they've both grown up with was being uh, re- referred to in this game. So that was encouraging. And um, we went through more development. And as things solidified and it looked like, yeah, this is definitely going to be a project that moves forward. Uh, I did all manner of trying to go sort of culture first in terms of looking for uh, consultants. I've reached out to the uh, Indians group at the University of Minnesota near me, mm. the uh, Hindu Society of Minnesota, and didn't really find much going those routes. Um, even reached out to my uh, distributor in India and didn't get a lot of help in terms of finding a consultant there. But then I went skill set first because I was looking for two different things. One is someone who's uh, really into game design and the gaming world from their perspective. And then another person who was a writer and fortunately through uh, just the extended network I have, I found both in, uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Sharung is the writer who I've wor- worked with on this project. So he helped with mm-hmm. uh, okay. writing the content that we have on the Kickstarter page. There's um, a story about Holy in the rule book that will include, and then help to name all the uh, different rules cards, give them a little more flavor and character. And then uh, I worked with Shivam, and he is not only on the commander committee for Magic the Gathering, but he's also a Hindu priest. So wow, he was the exact perfect person to talk to for helping with the game development. Uh, I wrote a whole development diary uh, that goes into more detail on all of the the different conversations we had and the different specific Mm -hmm. things that were changed, but it was an absolute delight working with both those guys. And uh, I think the game is so much better for it. Um, We did have to make some adjustments on the whole. I feel like it's fair to say we were on uh, quote unquote, the right track from the beginning, but um, we did indeed have to make some adjustments and, and tweaks to make sure that um, everything was lining up. Okay. But it, what I mean, it sounds like there was effort made, but it doesn't sound like it was a difficult thing to get somebody in to actually help you advise you correctly on the game. Yeah. No, it was uh, pretty easy to find. Once I sort of took the right strategy and reached out through mm-hmm. the gaming networks of uh, networks of gaming folks that that I know or that uh, sort of friends of friends, and um, Suzanne was one person I reached out to. She put a post on Twitter and got a ton of interest and mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, just uh, it's really great. We have such a wide community and uh, such a varied set of skills. It's, it's amazing to have found the exact perfect people for this project. It, that, mm-hmm. that was probably the most 
like impressive thing to me is it, it took a matter of hours once I, uh, once I put the call out through these folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things you've decided to do is that basically a dollar from every game sold, um, is going to be donated to is it Shanti Bavan, um, uh, which is a children's project. What I mean, what is that? Um, what's that project doing? Can you tell? Are you, can you tell us a little bit more about what that? What yeah, that's involved uh, stuff I gladly like will. Um, actually. Rewinding a little bit, starting with our project mm. Bosk, um, I decided to donate one dollar from each copy to um, help regrow national forests. Um, yeah, right, I've been okay. fascinated with this idea of donating a little bit back from our games in ways that are relevant to the game itself. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what we did, starting with Bosk and here for Holy. Um, I found through um, Sharang actually introduced me to the. Uh, Shanti Bhavan project. They have a documentary on Netflix called Daughters of Destiny that just will tug at your heartstrings. It's worth watching. Uh, go out and check it out if you haven't. But they are a great school for some of the least fortunate folks in India. They take on one child from uh, each family who applies that they select. And that child is cared for and educated from, uh, I think, starting around very early um, in mm -hmm. grade school, all the way through the equivalent of high school and prepared for college. So their goal is to not just sort of throw money at a problem or give people a little bit of help, but give them everything they need to rise above their, their current situation and just have an education at the back end of it and a set of skills that will help them succeed for life. So that's, I mean, that's extremely noble cause to, you know, and it's not just a case of, oh, you get a, here's an extra little miniature with the <laughs> game, <laughs> you know. Um, it's, is that becoming more kind of like your your MO, your modus operandi, when you're kind of like saying, well, if we're going to be developing a game, how, how are you going to be able to kind of give something back? It sounds like you're trying to make that kind of like a little bit of a cornerstone for, for Floodgate themselves. Yeah, I'd like to. I, I don't know if I really have more of an agenda just then I think it's a great idea. Um, I think when people mm -hmm. support us directly, it's really nice to be able to do more creative things with that direct support. And yeah. uh, in addition to things like, Hey, some cool upgraded bits and all of that, creating sort of a special game experience for people uh, being mm -hmm. able to tie that in more into real life. And so not just having a game that ties into real life events, but also your participation as a as a fan of ours is helping tie into real life in a meaningful way um that yeah. idea is really attractive to me yeah yeah um in terms of i mean there's obviously a dollars from the the pledges going towards the um the, the charity but how much is it going to be for people if they've listened along they went ah, this sounds fascinating i want to go ahead and pledge how much are they going to have to reach into the back pocket to to kind of pledge? Oh, for the for game itself. The game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, Holy Festival Colors. We have a retail edition that we're the base level play, pledge for that is thirty five, and then shipping's on top, of course. And then we have a deluxe edition mm -hmm. for fifty five, and that includes upgraded uh, tokens for everything and some three D uh, resin models for the player markers. And we've actually got some other cool stuff planned that we haven't announced yet too. So more to come on that. 
Oh, you can't just say that and then just not even kind of drop us a little hint about potentially. Is this going to be on addition? Is this based on kind of like further stretch goals? Uh, um, so we're we're not doing stretch goals for the project. You get the whole game as it is, but we have had wow. we have had some uh, a little bit of issues with the production of the boards, especially the the boards with the translucent middle. So yeah. Um, yeah expect soon to have uh, an announcement on those being improved so you're like a dj kind of taking people <laughs> before the silence comes in for two seconds and then the beat drops again i i applaud you sir <laughs> i applaud you for for keeping us in and i've just wrecked all my editing markers by clapping <laughs> kind of so kind of so much um do you have a f- do you have other projects kind of on the kind of on no let me backtrack yes with the current situation has that been a concern with you know as i say have are you because we've not just got this virus we've obviously got the whole manufacturing in china thing the distribution thing the tax thing are you kind of thinking oh this is going to end up being a damn a lot of work have you had to do kind of like a lot more kind of due diligence in terms I know that you've done you obviously you've you've got you've got form as they would say um which means in Britain that you've been arrested before um, <laughs> what, I'm saying, what I'm saying is that you've obviously you've you've done um Kickstarter projects before so with the current situation has that forced you to kind of carry out a little bit more kind of due diligence and check double check and triple check how the project's going to run because there must have been there must be a big difference between how this is run or the, the Holly's run um, in terms of preparing shipments and manufacturing compared to say like when you did Sagrada or when you did Vault Wars. I mean, it must be like almost a completely different landscape. Oh yeah, uh, since the days of doing Vault Wars, there are turnkey services for shipping, and I'm far more mm. aware of what it takes to get a project delivered on time and things like that. So. Mm. Yeah, the landscape has changed, but also the more relatively recent landscape is changing very rapidly, of course. Uh, hmm. We did we did have some strategic conversations around, hey, what are we going to do with this project? Are we going to still launch? And so on. Um, hmm. Unfortunately, we lost a lot of opportunities to show wholly in person. We had some local playtesting events and Breakout Con was yeah. a show we were going to be at. And uh, I w- wasn't able to make it to Gamma in light of... Uh, all of this stuff happening. So there were quite a few missed opportunities in person there, but nonetheless, we're still seeing great traction from a lot of great backers. Um, all of that to say, we do have some extra complications. Um, our previous project, Cosmic Colonies, is uh, in a little bit of a limbo state in uh, with manufacturing right now. That's been delayed a couple times. It's just about mm-hmm. wrapped up, but it was it's um, a bit late now, and we'll see what the state of things are when – I'm at this point. I'm unsure if we would even be successful shipping it here with the about a 45 yeah. day window between sending it from manufacturing in China to the U.S. Uh, who knows what's going to be the state of things in 45 days? And I think the last thing we want is to have a container land and bounce back or yeah, yeah. sit around. Who knows where? Yeah. I think that's the same. I think there's a lot of people kind of licking their fingers and sticking them above their heads <laughs> to see which direction the wind's kind of flowing in at the moment. It's kind of like uh, 
people use phrases like uh, kind of unprecedented and stuff like that. I mean, we've been, I mean, um, it's been kind of announced here that um, you're not going anywhere kind of now until we get this kind of sorted out. Um, And I see a lot of people on social media going, oh, that's great for board gamers. Um, I'd like to ask, and I want your input on this as well, Ben. Um, Is it? Because unless you're a big solo board gamers fan, and unless all of a sudden I've invited three of my friends round and then the lockdown's been announced and they can't go home. My shelf, <laughs> my board game <laughs> shelf, isn't the best thing in the world. To I mean, I could probably crack open uh, Mage Knight, to be honest, and finally kind of get that to the table. But I've seen a lot of these, oh, nobody's prepared for like this lockdown Armageddon isolation thing like the board gamers and I'm kind of looking at it going well if I've got all these minis to paint then fair enough but you know <laughs> I'm not going to play I'm not going to play 11 hours of like Twilight Imperium to myself am I um, and I'm just wondering you know I guess <clears throat> have you now considered a solo mode <laughs> for Holy <laughs> based on <laughs> based on the current situation oh man yeah there I've, I've seen some pretty creative stuff out there tabletop simulator yeah. and the like have yeah exploded with interest i've seen some fans of ours have uh taken games like bosk and built out a, a set of grid labels so that they could play yeah. remotely with a friend um and we're actually going to do with sagrada this week we're going to do a uh live stream where We'll have everybody who wants to play along. We'll play with the same window pattern cards, the same uh, objectives, wow. and we'll all just play and see where we land at the end of it, and kind of just hopefully entertain people for a little bit with that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's so strange, right? Like our, our hobby is such a social one. Uh, you you may be fortunate enough to have someone who is interested in playing maybe two or three players with whoever you're hunkered down with, but um, that's not everyone, yeah. and and. You know, often we we have our groups that we get together with that we're just not going to be able to see for a while. So maybe this is a time yeah. to read up on those rule books and be ready to go and when everything's lifted. But um. <laughs> the the flood of the flood of games that are going to hit the table and people, <laughs> it's not going to be the usual kind of people thumb, thumbing through rules and stuff like that. Just put put the Rodney video on. Let's see why you're getting this wrong kind of thing. People are going to be going, look, I have played this. For the last six weeks, I know every single <laughs> thing there is to know about this game. We're putting on this on the table. We're getting it played. I know this game. I've completely and totally learned this game. Let's let's kind of do it. So there we go. Um, but I guess one of the questions we should ask is, um, you know, what <laughs> what what games are you looking forward to getting to the table when, you know, uh, over the next couple of weeks? that you would like to maybe get the cellophane off or get them to the table again or get them to the table for the first time? Oh, man. Uh, I'm always playtesting our own games, so <laughs> I, I, that's what's uh, stuck at the top of my mind right now. Let me get back to you on that one. I'll, I'll see if I can think okay. of something. <laughs> okay, that sounds fair enough. That's dodging the question. It is. Which it would is. have been a good answer, <laughs> um, but there you go. That's fine. Kind of dodge away. Um, no, Um there's, as I say, um, Holy's funded. Um, there's a couple of days to go. Um, if people are interested in 
finding out more about yourself or keeping an eye on you on the internet webs. Where do you exist on the internet webs? Uh, pretty much everywhere. Floodgate Games. Facebook, Twitter, cool. Instagram. Smoke Signals. Excellent. Floodgate Games. <laughs> Smoke Signals. <laughs> Smoke Signals. I don't even know if that works. It may. probably does. <laughs> it, it, we'll fight. We'll probably have to find out, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, I hope not. Um, you know. I hope not as well. It's just like my entire my entire work is kind of like currently relying on the internet, and if that goes down, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm not gonna do work. I'm just saying that uh, there's <laughs> I've got rule books ready to go, Ben. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I can only wish you best of luck with the rest of the campaign. Thank you. Um, it's doing well. It's funded. It looks absolutely fantastic and simple, and I love. You know, I, I just want to. I am going to replace all of the tokens with M and M's, um, just so I, I can eat them, because it seems like a fun seems like a fun thing to do. Um, Love it. If you want to keep, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I can do that. Are you, are you saying I shouldn't do that? Uh, I think as long as you only eat the edible pieces, you'll probably be all right. See, I had trouble with wingspan recently. Because I I mixed them up with some mini eggs and you oh, know, no. cost myself a crown. It's not a good. It's not a good thing. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then consider. Um, you can find us um currently at my house because we're in lockdown, um, which is nice. Um, but you can also find us on the internet if you go to the Googles and search for "We're Not Wizards" and you'll find us on all the worn out faces and worn out places and you know um. Possibly not army bases, um, but you can also um, find us on your Twitters and your Facebooks and your Instagrams and our blog and everywhere else. If you like what you've listened to tonight, um, two things you should do. Go and check out Ben's campaign because uh, he's rocking you with these tunes and these mad colours. And the other thing you can do is consider jumping onto Apple Podcasts and dropping us a rating or a review. Um, if you are going to be giving us a rating or a review, don't give us a... Uh, 10 stars because it makes us big headed but don't give us one star because it makes us cry give us something in the middle like a five because it's average and we're just a little bit average but the person who's not being average tonight is the rather fun wonderful rather fantastic the rather colorful dropping some beats taking to you to euphoria and back <laughs> mr ben harkins thank you Thank you very much for coming on. There's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Ben? We are not. Yes. <laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Ben. Say goodbye, Ben. Goodbye, everyone. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, um, <laughs> more than ever, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. Um, until the next time. Fill your world with colour and goodbye. A wizard is never late.
Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. 